Well, good morning, Hill City. How's everyone doing this morning? My name's Nicole. I'm part of the team here at Hill City, and I'm super glad to get to be with you. We're wrapping up a series called Built to Last. And on Tuesdays, we come together and we like talk about the, the worship service coming up for each week. I just want you guys to know kind of a little bit of what goes in. I think you know that we don't just show up on Sundays, but on Tuesdays, we go through and Lamont will always ask, hey, like, what's the main part of your message? And to be honest with you, I, I was working on the message and I was like, this is all I got for you. It just wasn't a lot. And I'm like, here you go. And just the way the spirit moves, because um, a friend of mine has often said that we can sing our way into truth when we don't believe it. Um, and we have said and have sung the words of truth that really back up. I think where God's bringing us today and the way that we'll close the service as well. So thank you to Lamont and the team. I think you guys are as grateful as I am for just the way that they care for us through serving us through worship. So um, I'm really glad for that. And so we're in this series that we're actually gonna wrap up early. John said this yesterday. We were planning on it being longer, but as the feedback came and we were really thinking about this idea of um, the questions around like, what does it actually mean? Who's the Holy Spirit? How does that impact the way that we live our life that we're gonna pivot into that series um, in this coming sort of few weeks? So I'm gonna wrap up the Built to Last series and I wanna wrap it up um, with this sort of thought for you guys. Um, and I don't know how many of you spend time in the book of Revelation. My guess is not many. So it's the last book of the Bible if you're not familiar. And one of the reasons that people are like, Revelation, is it's, it's a lot of poetic imagery. It's a lot of violent imagery. It's hard to understand what we're kind of supposed to do with it sometimes. And people have misappropriated it in a lot of different ways that have brought a lot of fear to the church. And to me, a lot of, frankly, just um, sideways energy that keeps us from focusing on what God's given us to do right here. But it's an awesome book. And at the beginning of it, if you haven't read it, uh, maybe don't start today, but maybe just the first three chapters. <laughs> so in the first three chapters, Jesus appears on the scene in his glory, okay? And his, he's, John is getting a revelation from Jesus. And Jesus appears on the scene in his glory. And the first thing he says is, I have a message for the churches. And Revelation 1, 2, and 3 are these letters to the churches of the time, sort of regional churches of the time. And if you go to it and read it, you're going to see, he says, hey, Ephesus, church at Ephesus, you're doing great, but you've actually forsaken your first love. You've forgotten what you fell in love with in the first place. And he goes on, he says, hey, Smyrna, you're going to suffer. Suffering is, com is coming, but be faithful to the call of your life. And then sort of Sardis, it's like, hey, you're not done. You guys got started really strong, but you forgot to finish it. All through that Revelation 1, 2, and 3, Jesus is saying, hey, this is where you are right now. And as we finish this series called Built to Last, I think we should ask the question, what would Jesus say to the American church right now? And more specifically, what would he say to our church? We know kind of where it all began, and just look at this passage. This will help you connect with our next series, too. Acts 9.31, this, this is the early church. The book of Acts is about when the church started, okay? So Gospels, Jesus, we're we hear about Jesus' life, his mission, his death, his resurrection. And then the book of Acts is kind of like the book we're still in. Like if we were going to place ourselves in a book, we're still in the book of Acts, which is the New Testament church, the church that we're in right now. And at the beginning of that time, as the church was being described, this is what you find that it says in Acts 9, 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. 
living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. So as we finish today, I want to talk about that idea of what does it mean to live in the fear of the Lord? Because in the next series, we're going to talk about what does it mean to be encouraged by the Holy Spirit. John shared this passage last week. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. We've got this charge within the idea of being the church together that we need to fear God. And that just, it just falls weird on our ears because of the way that we use the word fear and also because of the idea of like, am I supposed to be cowering before like the power of God? Like, what does that mean? But the fear of the Lord is talked about a lot in scripture. So as people who seek to understand who God is, if that's you here today, we would kind of want to know what does this look like? What does this mean? What does it mean for us together as a church to fear God? And when I think about what God might say to the American church, I wonder if it might have a little bit to do with, hey, you acknowledge God, but do you fear God? Living in the fear of the, God, of the Lord is actually really good. <laughs> it's a good thing. Check out these passages about the fear of the Lord. The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with his justice and righteousness. He will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. All of these promises before it are connected to the way that you fear the Lord. What about this? He'll be the sure foundation for your times. Anybody looking for a sure foundation for our times? And somehow it's connected to this idea, again, that's a little bit weird, like, oh, the fear of the Lord's going to do that? The treasure that I'm going to find is by the way that I fear the Lord. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and then one rests content, untouched by trouble. Apparently, the fear of the Lord actually leads us to the way that we would show up in the world. People of foundation, people of life, people content, people untouched by trouble. That sounds pretty good, I think, to us. But what does it look like to actually live into that? So here's kind of the main point. If we don't fear God, we'll fear everything else. If we don't actually start from a foundation that says, who is God really and what is God asking of me? How does God show up in the world, not based on what I think God should be, but what is based on what God actually says that he is? The fear of the Lord to me is like knowledge applied. It's the ability to say, I take God at his word for who he says that he is. And I live with that as the sure foundation for my life. Now, how we live that out and how we walk that out will certainly require us to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit. But first and foremost, I think we have to acknowledge that I think that if Jesus was going to write a letter to the church in America, he might say, you've got the acknowledgement of God down, but I'm not sure about fearing God. When I look around at our world and our culture, it seems to me like many people live sort of as intellectual Christians or cultural Christians, but far fewer live as actually like followers of Jesus. In some ways, I would just call that like functional atheism. So the idea is like, I'm not Jewish, I'm Christian, right? It's almost like a cultural, like this is what it means, I, I celebrate Christmas. 
or I acknowledge God with my mind, but I don't live it out in my priorities. Here's a couple things I wrote about what I think functional atheism might look like to us. Functional atheism might mean I don't consult God for my decisions. Like I've never changed my mind on a decision because I experienced God's direction. Second, I don't prioritize God with my resources. Like no one would be able to tell on the outside that I'm actually a faithful follower of Jesus because my time, my money, my relationships don't reflect that. The third is I don't acknowledge or worship God individually. I may come to church and acknowledge God at church, but between Sundays, my life doesn't have any priorities in it in which I am acknowledging God individually as a person. And then finally, over the years, I'm not progressively growing in the fruit of the Spirit. I'm not becoming more Christ-like over the years. And to me, with no shame attached to it at all, I just call that functional atheism. That's, I'm cool with coming to church, and I'm, I'm okay with acknowledging God. But the actual, like, following God, I, I don't, that doesn't happen. Like, there's nothing, there's no transformation that's happening in my life. I don't, I don't do any of those things, but I'm cool to show up on a Sunday. And I think that is the culture that we live in. It's not, it's not like not okay to be a Christian. But the kind of Christian that you be would probably be something a little bit more like what's been called, and this is a big word, but I find this incredibly helpful. It's sort of a, a more full version of this functional atheism, this moralistic therapeutic deism. That's a big word that kind of describes this idea of the kind of belief that exists in America about who God is. This is by um, Albert Moeller, and this article talks about what does this actually mean. Okay, so here's a couple of things that moralistic therapeutic deism would believe. A God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Check. All right. God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. Okay. The third one you might start to get, maybe a little suspect if you've been around here a little while. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. Number five, good people go to heaven when they die. Guys, this is what we're living in. I mean, I, literally, I read this. I'm a professional Christian, and I read this, and I was like, that kind of sounds good. Like, that sounds, sounds like God, right? But then I thought it through, and I thought, well, what happens when, what happens when God doesn't show up to make me happy? Like, if, if my central belief is that God exists in order that I might be happy and solve my problems, what happens when my problems aren't solved and I'm not happy? Is that God's problem or is it mine? And that last one, all good people go to heaven when they die. Well, what makes someone good? Who's, who's in charge of that compass? Is that just good according to what I think is good? Is it good according to something else that someone thinks is good? Where, what is the, is there a, a, like a line? Is it like Billy Graham, Mother Teresa? And then like I, me, you know, and then, but down here is like Hitler. And then somewhere in between, like it falls apart. And you know where it actually falls apart, moralistic ther therapeutic deism? It falls apart in suffering. That's a place where it doesn't work anymore. And I, I think when we believe this, generally said with all love, generally people who are believing this haven't suffered. Or they haven't experienced kind of hard, hard things where this won't work anymore. Because if God loves me and wants me to be happy, and God's there to solve my problems, where was he on that night? 
If God loves me and wants me to be happy, if God exists to solve my problems, where was he when I asked him to heal my child? It just starts to fall apart. And guys, we are living in a world that needs more than this. I think we were living in a world where this was enough, but we're not anymore. We're not, we're not living in a world where this was enough. And I think about the apostles, all of whom were um, murdered or martyred for their faith, and I think they'd be like, oh, you guys, that's so cute. That's so funny like, <laughs> that you think that's who God is. But guys, I live in it too. I live right in this with you, where I'm like, yeah, but it kind of sounds good. And I think the difference between moralistic therapeutic deism, the difference between that and really following Jesus is what it means to fear God. Living in the fear of the Lord, letting God be actually God. Letting God exist on his own terms, not on our terms. If we can't trust the power of the Lord, we won't be sustained through a lifetime because it's not strong enough for suffering if we don't have the power of the Lord in there. Let's look at Psalm 36. I have a message for God from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. Look what makes it people wicked. There's no fear of God before their eyes. It's the actual definition of wicked. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. The words of their mouths are wicked and deceitful. They fail to act wisely or do good. Even on their beds, they plot evil. They commit themselves to a sinful course and do not reject what is wrong. I'm realizing that this is a really negative message. It's about to take a big turn, so just stay with me. But I think we've got to stay in the reality of this. Like, oh, okay. And when I look at this passage, I think to myself, okay, well, what's the opposite of this? The opposite of this, like the opposite of what this would be if I did fear God, is you'd be truthful with yourself. You could name and hate your sin, speak honestly, act wisely, intentional about choosing a righteous course, the ability to reject what is wrong. Yeah, that sounds like people who are built to last. That sounds like a church that can sustain through the storms. It sounds like people, sons and daughters of God, who can actually be in hardship and have a sure foundation that goes beyond what we just saw as functional atheism. God exists to solve my problems, so I can call on him when I have a problem. Instead, it's actually taking God on God's terms. So what would Jesus write to the American church? Sometimes I think in the evangelical, in the church that we're living in, the church that we're coming through, the culture that we've been in, we have a strong sense of Jesus as our friend, but maybe even a flippant sense of God's holiness and majesty. We have a self-shaped Jesus instead of a Jesus-shaped self. We sort of fit God into our terms, moralistic therapeutic deism, instead of taking God on his terms. And I think the fear of God actually can transform us. And there's three ways that I think that shows up. The first one is this idea of acknowledging God for who God is. That's kind of what we start with when we lead with worship. We're just acknowledging God for who God is. Look at Isaiah 29. The Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they have been taught. Now we're gonna start seeing a principle that God uses all the time in the Bible. Here it is. You turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, you did not make me. 
can the pot say to the potter, you know nothing. The first way that we acknowledge God is we acknowledge God as creator. Like the creator of all that is. The creator of all that is around us. The creator of you. The creator of me. We live in such a five senses world around the idea of just like science that I think sometimes we miss the mystery, the evidence of God that is all around us. And over and over again, we'll see in scripture, God actually uses the evidence of creation to point to who he actually is. When human beings get confused about who is really in charge, God actually points to what he's done as the evidence of who he is. Even here in Isaiah, he's saying, hey, don't turn things upside down. You're the created. I'm the creator. So first we acknowledge God for who he is. So here we go. Fear of God is what transforms us from functionally atheist to practicing followers of Jesus. Three things we want to talk about that we've started to right here. The first is we acknowledge God. The second, worship. Worship him as sovereign. This is very hard to do. I'm very impressed with I now take back everything I've ever thought about John's handwriting. Third, (laughs) trust him. Trust him as good. All right, so let's talk about that. We acknowledge God as God. Not God as we see him, but God as he is. We acknowledge him as God. We worship him as sovereign, and we trust him as good. And I think this worshiping him as sovereign starts with lifting our eyes and considering what God has actually done. What if we recaptured the wonder of what God actually does as a practice of worship in our life? Psalm 19, one through two, it's all around us. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. You know what I love about God as creator? It has nothing to do with your socioeconomic status, your education level, your gender, where you live in the world. The ability to acknowledge God as creator exists all the way from cradle to grave. It requires no tools other than the senses that have been given to us to actually acknowledge the wonder of God as creator. Do you know him? Do you know the work of God's hands? Last week, I was watching this Netflix show, this nature show. Um, I can't remember. Oh, it's called One Planet. And this little part, and by the way, you should watch it, first of all. If you need help in this area and you want something, I'm going to give you a spiritual practice that involves a Netflix show. This is very unusual. It probably will never happen again. So this show on Netflix is called One Planet, and it's about the wonder and the mystery of our planet. And even in it, even in this very scientific show, they have these moments as I'm watching it where I'm like, they're acknowledging God. They're like, we don't know why this happens. Like that's how some of them start. Like, we don't know why this happens, but five million birds all flock to South America. Like it's just, we're like, we know why that happens. So these birds, like this is just one little clip. There's like a million of these, but these birds, they go to off the coast of South America, five million of them all at the same time, 
come to breed, and this is, it's like when they, they show like a drone footage, it just, it looks like this like incredible, it looks like the way the cells look in the body when they move through the bloodstream, but it's actually five million birds in an area in South America. And they come to feed, and every single day, five million of them take a pilgrimage from where they are in their little colony to the ocean where they feed on fish. The ocean, they eat mackerel in the ocean. The mackerel eat krill. The krill eat the dirt from a desert hundreds of miles away that gets picked up by the wind, brought to the ocean. It has these little macronutrients in it. That feeds the krill, which feeds the mackerel, which feeds the birds. But the reason that the birds can get the mackerel is because dolphins also come. And dolphins, for some reason, show up in the same place. And they get underneath the mackerel at the bottom of the ocean, and they, they stir them up. So this school of fish rises to where the birds can eat them. Like, how can you hear that and think there's no God? Like, is it, I'm like, what? That is nuts. Like, the desert part is especially nuts. Like, and then there's like a current that brings the fish. Like, everything about it, you just take a minute and be like, that's God. That's God. And you might think, really? That's, this is the message? I'm like, yes, this is the message. The message is, God says that creation declares his glory. And here's the other thing. God uses creation to answer suffering. So if you've read the book of Job, it's in the middle of the, it's like in the Old Testament. It's long and it's, it's hard. It's actually thought to be the first book in the Bible, the first one that was written. It's not the first one in your Bible. And the story is a story about suffering. And it's not just about suffering, it's about what we would consider unjust suffering. Job, if he was here with us, would be laughing so hard about moralistic therapeutic deism. He'd be like, are you kidding me? Have you guys read the Bible? So in the story, Job, just inexplicable to Job, he doesn't understand why. Everything he has is taken from him. His family, his livestock, his riches, his house, his friends turn on him. He's suffering, he's got sickness. And for 38 chapters, Job laments his suffering. And he's like, why would God do this to me? I'm a righteous man. And his friends come and they say, you probably did something wrong. Like everyone's against him. 38 chapters. It's a lot. That's a lot of talking. And then in, in chapter 38, it says the Lord speaks back to Job. And do you know what he says? Where were you when I set the foundations of the earth in place? He answers Job's suffering by pointing to creation for three straight chapters. Here's just one that I pulled out this morning that I love. Does the hawk take flight by your wisdom or spread its wings toward the south? He says to Job, hey, answer me if you can. Did you tell the ocean where to stop? Did you tell this, the fish of the sea where to go? Did you? For three chapters straight. And Job, <laughs> Job answers finally after God walks him through a little creation story. Job answers and says, I know you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You see, what Job wanted was answers for his suffering, and what God did is pointed him to his work. God says, there's the evidence of who I am all around you. And that's, that can feel a little bit unfulfilling to us. Like, really, that's the answer? But what if that is the answer? What if, what if that's actually what works? What if what works in our suffering and in our hardship 
is that we acknowledge God as God and we worship him as sovereign. We say, God, I don't know why this thing is happening in my life, but I do know that you care about the birds. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. You see, it's not just about acknowledging God as God. It's not just worshiping him as sovereign. It's trusting him as good. You know, we sang that worship song, you are good all the time. All the time you're good. Have you been in a church where that's, you know, I say you are good, you say all the time. All the time you are good. And I don't know if you stood with a friend who's suffering or in a hard time. Can you imagine saying to them, all the time, God is good. No, don't do that, please. But do it in your heart. Like what if you were able in your heart to be in your suffering or your hardship or to be with another, another believer in their hardship or their suffering? to care for them, to grieve with them, to be with them, but to actually know in your heart, God is still good. God is good, and he has not forgotten, and he sees this. And just because he's not answering my questions as exactly I ask him to, he's still answering my questions in the world around me. The evidence of his goodness, it's here. It's around us. We get to experience it. If we will acknowledge him as sovereign, as all-powerful, as in charge, as still on the throne in the universe and hopefully on the throne in your own heart. A friend of mine was telling me a story about um, traveling to Italy with her mom and they had a driver like, who kind of picked them up over time. So they got to know this Italian driver a little bit. It was like the third day on their trip. And they were asking a lot of questions about the agenda for that day. They were like, well, what time are we gonna eat and where are we gonna go? And a lot of questions. And you could tell the taxi driver was getting exasperated with them. And he finally said, you Americans, you Americans need to know everything. We live under the sky. And I thought, yeah, I don't know. I I, I must say, you Americans don't want to live under anything. But what if we started, as Christians, living under the sky that God made? Did any of you guys see the sunset last night? Like, I'm just a geek for it. I'm just a geek for what God does. It's like, look at that. Look at that. I mean, I was watching the sky before. I'm like, look at the color of that blue. Nobody can reproduce the color of that blue. Like, what if you're just like subversive rebellion against the cynicism and darkness and unanswered questions in your heart and your life was just to care more and just like have wonder about what God has done and just look for wonder as a discipline in your life. I'm a a spiritual discipline of being freaked out by how awesome God is. And I'm just gonna show up and let God hold my problems while I show up for God to be God. Because that's what scripture tells us he does. That's, that's how he does it. He answers all of that unanswered stuff by saying, look at the evidence of who I am. If he does all that for nature, imagine, look at this. This one really looks like apocalypse now. That looks like creation, but that's really just the same clip from that Netflix show. If we don't fear God, we'll fear everything else because there's a lot to fear. And if we don't have a powerful God, if we don't have a good God, if we don't have a sovereign God who's operating in this world, then everything else is gonna be what we fear instead. 
God does all that with nature, but look at what he does with us, Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, God says all of this, and then it says in scripture, and you created humans, like to, to be in this creation, a little lower than the angels, you made humans. Like the mystery and the wonder of who human beings are is incredible. I mean, I, I, there's so much to say about that, but I wanna tell you two things about babies. Babies, the mystery of babies. Do you know that babies, when they are born, can tell their mother's voice in one syllable? They hear one syllable and know it's their mother's voice. It's the only voice they recognize. It activates an area of the brain associated with language processing. They can recognize their mother's voice at birth, and it's the only sound they recognize when they're born. Dads, you're still important, but just for a minute. This is a cool thing. The other thing about babies is their eyesight is designed to sort of block out. I mean, the world is so overwhelming to a baby the, their eyesight blocks out anything except eight to 12 inches from their eyes. That's the only thing they can see clear when they're first born. Do you know what eight to 12 inches is from a baby? That's eight to 12 inches. Like that's our God. I mean, that's the mystery of what God has done and what he's given human beings the ability to do. Have you ever stopped to be like, look at this Apple Watch. I don't know, what is happening on this Apple Watch? How does this thing work? There's music in it, and then I have headphones that don't connect to it, plays music from it. I mean, have you thought about like, there are human beings in this world that God has gifted with the intelligence to work together with other people with gifts, and they give us Apple Watches, and cars, you know what I mean, and chairs, and sound. Like, what if we just were like in wonder of who God is who has created all of this? I think for so many of us, we need to look less here and more here and live under the sky. Fear God starts with acknowledging God as God, worshiping him in his sovereignty, trusting him in his goodness. What if as a church, we lived in the wonder and a worship of a God who's big enough to create the world, powerful enough to feed five million birds with dust from the desert, and loving enough to call us his greatest masterpiece, to call us that we would treat one another that way? What if we had just enough faith to take him at his word today and treat each other as precious in his sight? What if we were a church that reminded one another to worship him as sovereign and trust him as good? That is a church that's built to last. So I wanna invite you from the songs that we sang, Lord, you are good, to this moment, for just a minute. If you live, just in Lamont's sort of offer to come into worship, we're gonna take one minute. And I wanna ask you, is living under the sky for you Acknowledging God as God. Worshiping him as sovereign. Sometimes worshiping him as sovereign actually looks like saying, God, I'm gonna lay these problems that I've been trying to control at your feet and worship you as sovereign in them. Or the third one, trust him as good. What do you need to do today? Acknowledge God as God. Worship him as sovereign. Trust him as good. Let's take a minute before the Lord and then we'll close with a worship song.
All right, we'll do this in five. Cool. I always wanted to do this. Hi, my name is Brian, and I'm one of the interns here at Hill City. We're so glad you're here with us this morning. We want you to know that Hill City is a safe place for you to get to know Jesus. And if you have, if you're curious and have doubts and questions or fears, we are honored to talk to you through them. If you've been watching with us online, we want you to check out and get to know how you are doing. You can fill out a connection card on our website and get connected with real people. Today we're gonna have a few songs and we go through the next message of our sermon series. Brian? Thank you. <laughs>